Welcome to the Further Gospel Podcast, where we provide sound doctrine for everyday people. I'm your host, Kosti Han, and on today's episode, I have a very special interview for you with a dear friend and brother named Tim Stevens. Tim is the pastor of Fairview Baptist Church north of the border in Canada, and I've gotten to know him pretty well from our time together as classmates at the Master's Seminary in the Doctor of Ministry program in expository preaching. Tim is faithful and has quite an aversion to a lot of attention and fanfare and public recognition. So he was in a little bit of a tough spot when he found himself on national news and really global news in 2021 when he refused to keep his church shut down and he refused to stop preaching. It was 2021 and the Canadian government had said no more church, no more gatherings. And he, along with others like James Coates, who maybe you know and have heard of, kept on preaching and opened their churches to allow people to come. What I love about Tim and what you're going to hear in this interview is he's a prudent man and they're a prudent church. They took some time for a season to assess things. They weren't just cavalier and didn't care about what anyone would think to the point that they were insensitive. But Tim had come to a conviction. And when it was time, he said, I'm going to preach. We're going to worship. And anyone who wants to come can come. Tim found himself in prison with the option to get out and be released if he would just sign a piece of paper that said, you won't go back and open the church and keep on preaching. His situation is an interesting one because Tim, married to his wife Raquel, is the father of eight kids. And with a family in tears and the weight of the world seemingly on his shoulders and really all the eyes of the world watching, he refused to stop preaching and refused to sign the paper that said he would close the church and keep it closed. This is his story in depth and in detail with so many lessons and such great wisdom for all of us to be sharpened and encouraged by. Let's jump right in to my interview with Tim Stevens. Tim Stevens, glad to be sitting down with you, brother. It's good. Thanks, Gossie. <laughs> <laughs> Fellow Canadian fellow student in the Doctor of Ministry program here at the Master Seminary. And I wanted to have you on to the Further Gospel program to talk a little bit about your last few years, which have been pretty uncommon for a North American pastor. We want to tell us a little bit, though, first about you, where you pastor, your family, how many kids you have, which I think is pretty awesome, how many you have. And then we'll jump into more about your story. Yeah. So I pastor at church in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Fairview Baptist Church, married to Raquel, and we have eight little ones. Our <laughs> oldest is 14. Our youngest is is two. Yes. So our house is very busy. So good. Your house. Yes. Canadian. <laughs> Love it. So take us back. I want to jump right into it. You first kind of broke into the news or whatever. A lot of people found out about what was happening up there because you ended up in prison. And I want to get to that. But first, would you kind of take us through a bit of a history, reaching back maybe even to 2019 into 2020. You're a faithful pastor at a Baptist church, loving your wife, raising eight kids. You're in Canada, and all of a sudden, life changes for you. Could you take us back to that, maybe 2019, leading into 2020 and beyond? 
Yeah, so that time, you know, pastoring a small church, this was a church that was started in 1960, and we were seeking to revitalize it, just, just preach as best as I can, and think things were, things were going well. Every year, you know, a few more people would come, and people were being encouraged and built up. And then when, when 2020 came around and, and when COVID came on to the news, it was a bit of, bit of a shock for us and for every, everybody. Like our first encounter was that was really going to Costco and seeing all the shelves empty, not knowing what was happening. <laughs> so it know? happened up there too. That's <laughs> yeah. what happened down here. Yeah. So the clerk said well, COVID or coronavirus. We had no idea what that was. Yeah. And so when our, when our government initially said, oh, we need to stop all gatherings, we just assume, okay, here comes this killer virus and mm -hmm. we better comply. And, you know, we were a very simple church. We didn't have any online streaming, anything like that. And so we had to put in some of those things for a time. And then as the, as the weeks went on, you, how awkward it would be to, you know, try to preach to your church, looking at a lens of a camera. <laughs> and, and what was really painful was, you know, you, you don't get any feedback mm -hmm. from the people you're communicating with. Yeah. But e even at the beginning, you know, I was very clear with our church that this was, this was not church, um, you know, online, you know, the address that I was doing was, was not a sermon. This was yeah. not church. It was not the gathering. This was something temporary. And, uh, you know, if you're familiar with a guy like Samuel Rutherford, who was mm -hmm. exiled and not able to be with his church, well, he would use his pen to write letters to them. Yeah. And so I use that as an example of how we were going to operate as a church until we could begin to gather. Yeah. But then, you know, there was one one Sunday after, you know, saying goodbye into a camera lens that I just like put my head on my desk and just just began to weep because I couldn't I couldn't pastor my people. And of course, you look out the window and it's like there's nothing happening. Like yeah. there's, there's not bodies piling up on the streets. Yeah. And, it's just, and so I, I began to talk with a few people in our church and then others were of the same mind. Mm. Um, but of course, our church was divided. Some thought, no, we need to comply. This is this is bad. This is terrible. And so I began to to write and to try to encourage our church that we need to be open, even if the government says says no. Mm -hmm. um, so we it was probably the end of end of May. We've been closed maybe eight or nine weeks. Um, so we we began meeting again, uh, but in a limited capacity. Not everyone was comfortable in going. Yeah. And so we we met through the the summer of 2020, and. No fanfare, you know, no no flag waving, saying here we are, yeah, we're like, we're defined. Yeah, that's that. right. <laughs> uh, so so we just we just met quietly, and people would hear kind of word of mouth. Oh, mm -hmm. there's a church open. But then that fall of 2020, that's when restrictions continued to increase because as numbers went up, hospitalizations went up. Yep. And so the the allowable limits for who ought to gather kept going down and down, and you know, in our context. You know, no one could come into your home. It was just, it was off limits. If you didn't live live in your home, like nobody's in there, which which immediately kills any kind of fellowship or hospitality. Yeah, even a small group of people, nobody. Together. They didn't live in your house. They couldn't come. Um, and then and the church limit kept going down and down until it was it was like ten or fifteen people. So, and, and their justification was only the people that are necessary to do some kind of online service should be at the building. Otherwise, no gathering. Yeah. And, you know, we, we were trying to be as reasonable as best we can without impeding mm -hmm. our call to worship. But we kept gathering. And so in January, so right, right after Christmas time, that's when law enforcement began attending our services. That's 2021. 2021 now. Yeah. 
so I, apparently they reached out to us over Christmas, but we didn't answer the phone. Yeah. And uh, so, so they started attending our church in January, 2021. And it started with just a few bylaw officers you know, I, I got a mask ticket for not wearing a mask. And you myself. knew who they were? They were dressed in uniform? Oh, yeah. They came with the uniform to the church. And this kind of gave everybody a warning. You know, you guys are, are violating these these orders. Could you take us into that just so we can visualize it? Are you you're up preaching? I picture are people singing or is are they there before? And before you even start, do they get up in the in front of the stage and talk to like take us into the moment? Well, they, they came. Actually, we have like our Sunday school, Sunday seminars, and then yep. we have our main worship. Yeah. So they came between okay. those those two services, yeah. which was, so I was able to speak with them. They're I wasn't in the lobby the or bulletin. whatever, the entryway. Yes, yeah, so they came right to the entryway. Yep. And, uh, you know, it was immediate that we weren't complying. Sure. And so one of the bylaw officers, he, he, he walked into the into the auditorium and he actually like called out with a loud voice, like, just so you know, you guys aren't wearing a mask, you're going to get a ticket. And so he, okay. he was trying to intimidate some of our people. And so our people kind of looked over at this guy that then went back to their conversations. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> so they weren't really phased by it. And I think he was a bit upset because we had other people coming in for our main worship. Yeah. Like, oh, bylaws here. Like, hey. And, and I wave as they Good walk morning. in. Um, but I, I tried to prepare our church for that moment. Yeah. And so I, I told them that, you know, any any kind of consequence or liability, I'll, I'll take that. So, so you had written that you mentioned writing and you had prayed and thought through it. Yeah. All that's happened before. So people are seeing the reality of what you prepared them for. Yes. So okay. they knew this was going to come Gone. because there's other churches, you, you know, James Coase and Edmonton, yeah. like in enforcement's it. already coming to his church. So we kind of knew what would come eventually, yep. you know, as we kept gathering, because if you're not allowed to gather in our church parking lot, it's full every Sunday. You know, some, someone's going to pick up the phone. Totally. And uh, make that call. So we, we kind of prepared the people. That way, you know, when the bylaw officer said, like, who else is in leadership? Who else is, is responsible here? I, I would just give my name and say, no, it's just me. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want anybody else to take take that responsibility. Mm-hmm. I made it clear to them, too, that, you know, you can you can give us a ticket, but we plan to, um, you know, assert our own constitutional rights and freedoms. We, we we don't believe we're doing anything wrong. Yeah. You know, so we're not we're not going to hide and cower as if we're criminals. Yeah. But we have a right to gather and to worship, mm-hmm. and so you you can come here and tell us to stop, but but respectfully, we are going to continue. And that's the first round. That was the first round. Round one. So they leave. Yeah, they give you the ticket on site. They leave. They write a ticket for me. You know, it's a thousand dollar ticket for failing to wear a mask. Just written to me. Um, they, they they threatened others, but they only wrote one ticket that Sunday. And then they leave and they um, they head off. Now the the complication arose later that week because when when they came in, they they brought also a health inspector. You know, from from the government, okay. which which deemed our church out of compliance with the with the health orders. So on top of the ticket, other variables now they can yes. hit you with. And so this 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 inspector then writes this report saying that we're we're a non-compliant, you know, organization. And when they do that, that gets that gets posted to their website and then notifies media. Got and, it. And so later that week, then we have local media, in fact, mm. some even some of the national media Picking up that here is this church in Calgary that is defying COVID mandates. And any spike in numbers or any type of media narrative, they you become public enemy number one. You, James Coates, anyone else, it's That's like right. you guys are the reason people are dying 
Yes. Et cetera. Yes. And that's part of their tactic to gain compliance, right? That's why they're going to tell the media to bring negative public pressure so that we comply. Comply. You know, so we had a number of people in our church when that happened saying, oh, this is this is a terrible testimony. That was too much. To Jesus. Like, look what people are saying online. Look what the comments are saying. Like, mm-hmm. this, this is this is terrible for the gospel. Like, yeah. we, we need to we need to shut down. We need to comply. And at that point, are you what goes through your mind in that moment? Were you ever tempted or maybe temptation is the wrong word? Did you ever lean and think because you have to consider yeah. as a as a pastor who's bold and courageous we know our convictions, but you still have to be teachable and humble and thoughtful. We're not infallible. And shepherd flock. Yes. So in those moments, how are you meeting those people with that? And then what informs your decision to go, no, yes. we're not doing that? Well, I was, like I said, I was writing to our church. So our, our Sunday services looked the same as they always had. Like it was for the worship of God. This mm-hmm. wasn't political. This wasn't about COVID. This was, this was about worship. I was preaching the book of Job and that just continued. Um, but I would I would write a weekly email to our church in the middle of the week mm. and, and try to address some of the things that were happening and what our church was doing. Yeah. You know, we had the odd meeting, but you know, our leadership wasn't really on the same page, which made it all the more difficult. Wow. The congregation was on the same page. And so when something came up like, oh, we're a terrible witness, well then I would I would have to write a, a short article or essay about what does it mean to be a witness mm. of Jesus. It doesn't mean that the world likes you. Wow. It means that you're you're obeying Christ, and because of your obedience, now this attention has been drawn to the church. But but what people are going to see is that we're doing this because of our allegiance to Christ. You know, so so that is the witness. So so the martyrs were witnesses, even though everyone hated them. But it, it's remaining steadfast under that trial. That is our witness. Wow. And so we had to teach that to our people. And you know, the next week when when. Bylaw came back, and this time they brought, brought police, so these were not just bylaw officers. But so they come back again. They come back the next week. We're going to gather Sunday. again. Okay. And so we're preparing our people like, hey, if you get a ticket, you know, here are some lawyers that have, have volunteered their services for right. our church, yeah. you know. Did those come because the media hits you and there's a bunch of dust up, and then lawyers come out of the woodworks and say, hey, we're with you yeah. if you need anything? Yeah, you got a few law, law groups in Canada that want to advocate for people's freedoms, and yep. so... Uh, even one of the lawyers was attending our church at the time. He's like, you know, here's what you do when you get a ticket. Don't don't flip out. It's okay. like a speeding ticket. We can fight this. <laughs> and uh, so so people were prepared. But the next Sunday they came back with with bylaw and then with a bunch of police officers. Mm. And we decided not to let them in this Sunday because you know there's actually a law in the books in Canada saying that you you can't disrupt the religious service. Yeah. And so. We, we told them that law and said, unfortunately, we can't let you in right now. Like, you're actually intimidating and scaring our people. We've, we've come here for a sacred worship of the true and living God. And so you can come and look at our church, but, but come after. And so, so they were outside. It was a little bit of a standoff. They were a little bit upset that we were saying that. Mm. But as they were outside, you know, a number of police cars and and. God bless our people because they would still come park and walk through police cars and walk through police to get into the church to come and worship. So at the beginning of the service, a little bit distracting to know what was happening out there. But then when you start preaching, everybody is listening. And how many people at this time are are gathering? You mentioned a little bit about some of the leaders all not on the same page, which, I mean, that happened a lot of different places. Uh, And then you've got people that said, hey, you know, Pastor Tim, that's a little too much for us. Yes. Our witness is now on the line. 
how many are gathering at this point? We're in week two of a multi-week hit with tickets and police presence. Yes. So before this, we probably had about 120, 130 gathering on a Sunday. You know, as as the police started to come, that that number dwindled. Mm. Um, so probably on those Sundays when they're starting to enforce, especially the Sunday where they came back with a greater police presence, you know, maybe there was 60, 70 people okay. that gathered at that time. But as the as the police were persistent, that number continued to go down because I think people were concerned about, you know, th- their own consequences and yeah. and not just not just getting a ticket, but you know, as as cameras were there from media organizations, mm-hmm. like what would happen if my boss sees me yeah. here? <laughs> I might lose my job yeah. and I can't feed my family. And so we had people saying, you know, this is just, this is just too much um, because their intimidation. Yeah, did did work. Yeah, and there was a time because that that second Sunday when they were back, like they actually came to my house and gave me three tickets, and these weren't just regular tickets like a thousand dollar fine. This was uh, like a court summons. Like you have you have to go to the judge, and and the judge is going to assign you some kind of monetary penalty. So that was the third hit. So the first time they come, they give you the thousand dollars. Yeah. The second time they're showing up and starting to hit you with other things. Then they come to your house. Yes, because of that second Sunday. Got it. So they come to my house that week, and uh, it's at, at my house that they give me three, you know, because there's, there's physical distancing mm-hmm. that we weren't doing. Yep. There's capacity violations, having too many people yep. around there. Um, I forget what the third one was. Maybe, maybe, it was maybe it was masking, you know. So th- they give me three of these court summons, which the, the penalty for that is up to 100000 for the first offense and up to 500,000 for the second offense. Wow. And so when we got those three, like sat down with my wife and you know, getting a thousand dollar ticket was already, at that time, was a little bit emotional, yeah. you know? And you'd be thinking, we, we, can, we can do that. And then when you get these three court summons, it's like, now I gotta go to court. And this might be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so, you know, we might, we might lose our home. You know, we have to sell our home to pay for this. And and it was at that time when this and my wife and, and and I thank God for her. But we were we were both convicted to to just trace over the biblical arguments that I had already been outlaying for our congregation, mm-hmm. and re- recognizing that those things are still true. Wow. The, the the scriptures don't change because the consequences are now ratcheting up. And so if it was right to gather last week when the police weren't here, yep. it's right to gather it's this right week gather. when they're here. And so he said, well, we, we need to continue to, to go forward and continue to meet. Yep. And uh, there was the most difficult thing at that time was, was really the, the fracturing within the congregation. Mm. And you know, there was a number of people that were just discouraged and thought, you know, I, I'm convinced that we ought to gather, but, but look at all these brothers and sisters who aren't, and so we ought to maybe not gather for their sake. And you know, you, you have passages in scripture that talk about yeah. caring for the weaker brother like and, Romans and loving one another, and you have right? All these different, yeah. <laughs> and so you're, you're trying to weigh this all out. And so talking to you know, our now associate pastor, and there was one time I'm like, well, if, if we continue to gather, we may only have like 10 people who come. I, we might not even have a church. Yeah, I might not have a pastorate. And uh, and he, he said, you know, Tim, if we have 10, we have 10. I love that. If <laughs> yeah. we have 10, we have 10. That's 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 our flock, right? Mm-hmm. We have to keep 
have to keep gathering. Wow. What part of your theology and church history came into play, and how did that inform your decision above and beyond you and your wife's very important conversation, obviously, financial, your home, life, livelihood, your shepherding responsibility with members of the flock who are wrestling through their own conscience. In the end, you chose to stay the course. What aspect theologically, maybe church history, informed that overall? You talk about going through the arguments or re reworking through those with your wife. What were some of those hinge points? Yeah. Well, there, there's a there's a history, of course, in the church yeah. where, where people are resisting authorities for the sake of obedience to God. Mm-hmm. I think that's a principle that we all agree with. Yeah. The challenge is, when do you do that? Yeah. And and what what I sought to teach our church is when you look at biblical history, you have Israel in Egypt, mm-hmm. and and Pharaoh is wanting to constrain kind of the parameters of their obedience to God. Yeah. So yes, you can go to the wilderness, but only the men, or leave your livestock here, or and he was always trying to compromise, mm-hmm. where they're like, no, we have to obey God in this way completely. And so that's an example of, I think, what our even our government was doing was, yeah, yeah you can still gather, but you just have to gather this way. Yeah. You, you can't do the Lord's Supper. You can't do baptism right now. No, you can't, you can't gather as the church. Yeah, and that's, so that's a helpful detail. And I'm, thanks for letting me keep jumping in because I'm fascinated by this. I know some of it, but I'm still as eager as anyone else to hear. The Lord's Table. So they were in Canada. It's different countries. We're in the U.S., obviously, different places. They were restricting the Lord's table because it's obviously food or drink. So now you have a direct command in the midst of, hey, you can gather. You can't obey the Lord's command to do this in remembrance of me. Is that one aspect too? Where yes, you're going, and that no. aspect, they had the aspect of uh, there was times when you weren't allowed singing. Oh, that's right. So no singing in the church. I forgot about that. You know, so we sort of laughed at we, that. We up suggest here. that you hum or or, or or listen and reflect. Yeah. Then what do you do with the command of scripture that say sing to one another? Yeah, right. So there was there was all these adjustments, and again, the people who were who were proposing these alternate forms of worship were not the elders of churches. No, these these were bureaucrats and politicians and other doctors that had that had no understanding of, of what God has actually required us to do. Mm. And so, learning what Israel did in Egypt is helpful, and then of course seeing what. Israel did when they were in exile in Babylon, how they, they did whatever they could to to work within Babylonian society. Respectfully. Yeah, but there reason. becomes a line when Daniel has to pray yeah. in such a way, even though he knows the consequences will be severe. Uh, you know, the, the three boys, they, they would not bow yeah. when the music played. And so there are, there are certain lines, and it's, and it's not just, you know, when, when the government does something egregious like saying don't preach the gospel but daniel it was prayer you know totally. so it, it was and and if you try to find a scripture where do you have to face towards jerusalem and pray three times a day he's like you don't find that passage mm. but this was a principle a practice that he was already engaged in yeah. and this demonstrated his loyalty to god above all his loyalties no. not at all that's really helpful i was going to ask you how uh in the midst of all that you look back still and with zero conviction and issue on your conscience, you guys did try to assess things first. I know a lot of churches who did. 
to make sure it wasn't the bubonic plague. I think a lot of pastors, we thought, all right, we're going to go die in the streets and we're going to be holding people in our arms and we have to prepare our wives to kind of just release us. We're going to die to this crazy virus. You did everything you could to assess, to be patient, to be reasonable in a way like Daniel, when he goes and even requests, hey, could, could we even test the diet out? See how we eat versus others. Yes. You did a lot of that. So when it was time, it was time. Yeah. Take us into uh, the moment where now you're on a tipping point and you just decide, okay, if we have 10, we have 10. Your associate, yes. what's his name? Alex. Alex. Yeah. So Alex <laughs> says, if we have 10, we have 10. Yes. We're rolling. And yeah. so you're going to walk in obedience. You've gone through a biblical theology, not just one little isolated example, but a pattern of God's people obeying him. Yeah. What happens next? So as, as the enforcement action continues, then court orders are involved. And, and we had the advantage of, we're three hours south to James Coates at Grace Life Church in Edmonton. Okay, yeah. And he, he's kind of ahead in the pipeline. Was he in prison yet? <laughs> no, he wasn't in prison yet. Okay. But he was getting court orders. You know, they were getting fined. So we could see that they were a little bit ahead of the game. Yeah. And of course, he's he's in the capital of our province, so all the politicians are there. You totally. know, so he's in the Edmonton area, right? He's in the Edmonton area, we're so. in the Calgary area. The two big cities, right? <laughs> and so they he's, barricaded, right? They did the thing, the fences around their church. That's, that's coming. Okay, right? so not even yet, not even yet. But so, but in February, they they put him in jail. You know, so eventually, these these court orders were basically cease and desist. You yeah. must stop gathering, and uh, because you. Know, you you can give someone a ticket every single week, but you're, you know, you can't bring them to jail. But going to get a court order and permission from the judge now gives them the permission to put you in jail to kind, of, to kind of raise the stakes. Yeah. And so when that happened to James, our church continued to be divided, you know, um, up up until James' imprisonment, wow. and, and we were trying our best to move forward together as a body, together as leadership. But when when James went to jail, it it, w- it was like okay, we, we have to we have to cut out this idea of really trying to, you know, gently lead people along. Mm-hmm. This is an area where our brother is in prison, and and we need we need to gather and we need to do so in such a way that that everyone knows that that we are brothers in the Lord, mm-hmm. and that his convictions are our convictions. And so we gathered at that time, you know, very publicly. You know, we, we, we let the, you know, the media know, you guys can come see us. We're, we're doing the very same, the same thing. Mm. And so that, that moment really was a moment that, you know, rally the troops, put steel in our spine. It, it just, totally. just, just helped knit our church it's together. It's we will not bow moment. Yes. And even people in our church at that point that didn't agree with me, when James went to jail, they said, "Tim, you know, I, we understand that your convictions are the same as James, and that and that you need freedom to continue to gather without us kind of hindering mm. this." And so, you know, basically got the blessings even from those who didn't agree. Like you oh. got, you guys need to gather, and you need yeah. to gather this way. Um, so, so we we did that, and of course, no one expected James to be in jail for as long for his, as yeah. he did. You know, thirty five days. Um, because again, the conditions for his release were you can't you can't go and lead your church in worship. You can't you can't gather together. Yep. You know, so I think for him, not even step on the property. And so he he couldn't agree to that. And yep. so he he remains in jail. 
And, and at that time, I, enforcement on our church let up a little bit mm. because I think they just weren't sure what was happening. You know, the enforcement, they didn't, they didn't expect any pastor to go to jail. And so I, I think it was just a threat. James is in there like, okay, so we're doing this. Are we doing this? Are we right. not? And then you know, the media attention, you can imagine, Oh yeah, you know, a pastor going to jail. And, and James is not a guy that is some kind of radical, no. you know, he's not a crazy guy. He, he's Steady, <laughs> calm, godly, gentle, humble, you know, yep. gospel preacher. And he's in jail. And so I, I don't think that they wanted to continue doing that. Mm. Um, but, but eventually, I think the, the authorities had just given too much permission to some of these health agencies, and, and they were still upset that our church continued to gather. Yeah. And so there was a service. You know, as we continued to gather, there was, there was more warnings on their part about us gathering. But there are Sundays when when they would just come with their police cars and be outside of our church, and then Sunday would end, and then they'd leave. So sort of just a an intimidation tactic, or yeah. a, hey, we're here. Yeah, it's almost like they were just keeping track of of us and our continued mm-hmm. you know defiance in their mind. And so you know, every Sunday I would go to church and and write write my lawyer's phone number on my wrist, <laughs> just in case <laughs> when I go to jail, I, I want to remember that and give him, give him a phone call. Totally. Um, because I knew jail time might be coming for me too, I, I took time to write letters to my children mm. and to my wife, to the congregation. Wow. So, so if I go to jail, you know, ask my wife to please deliver these letters mm-hmm. uh, to the church. And so in, in May, it, it, it happened. We, I think it was right, at, right after Mother's Day and uh, was outside in the parking lot and I actually got a phone call from the police saying, we're going to arrest you. And I want, I want your family to go away because we don't want to traumatize the children. Mm. And I said, well, yeah, I'm not sure if that's, that's, a, that's a good idea. And she says, well, we'll talk to your wife and, uh, and then I'll call you back in a couple minutes. Wow. So it was a very strange phone call to get really a call polite from, from the police. Of, yeah. Are they under pressure? Can you take us real quick? I know people yeah. are probably like, no, let them just get to it. But we have to ask this. Yeah. At that moment, are the police under pressure from other agencies or other entities? I mean, for them to call and give you the polite heads up, are their hands tied? Or those are the guys that are executing it and they're just being nice? I think, I don't think the police wanted me in jail. You know, they, they wanted me to comply, obviously. Sure. But I don't think they wanted, they didn't want the attention because it, it makes the police force look bad. Totally. You know, for arresting a peaceful pastor for preaching to his congregation. Yeah. And uh, so I don't think they wanted the attention. I think it was really the, our health authorities. They're under pressure from the health authorities. Health authorities were the ones kind of driving the driving things. And, and the government had, had given them too much authority. Yeah. And so when the police called me, uh, I talked to my wife and she says, I don't want to leave. Mm. You know, what am I going to tell the kids? You know, we're going to go home and say, oh, by the way, dad's in jail dad's now. Not coming, yeah. <laughs> so she's like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. And so when he called me back, I said, no, family's going to stay here. Mm-hmm. And so they all came into the parking lot and, and had an opportunity just to, you know, give my family a hug, pray for them, say goodbye to some of the other members of our church. And, uh, and they brought me off, off to jail. And it was, it was a surreal experience because you knew it might be coming, but wow. then of course, going through it, you can never truly prepare for it, 
right? Uh, it's it's not like in the movies or anything like that. So mm. before before you actually go to a prison, you know, you go to the police station. They have like an arrest processing station, and so in there they, you know, you're not allowed multiple layers. So I'm I'm dressed, you know, similar to this and. Yeah. You know, so like you can't bring in your suit jacket and, oh, you have two two shirts on. You got to take after out. After church then. After church on a, on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon. What time? So time of day, like 1 p.m., it's somewhere like, in that it's ballpark. It's like maybe, maybe 2 o'clock, 3 yep. o'clock. You church know. parking lot, you're done. Were yeah. the kids, I mean, not to like make you relive it a ton, but just that like, were, were they all crying pretty heavily? They, they were crying. Your wife pretty yeah. stable at that point? She's pretty she stable, but just like, where are you taking him? Yep. You know, what's going to happen now? Can, Did they can you tell do her this? anything when she asked those questions? No, I think because at that point we're we're still trying to say you know, look, what we're doing is not it's not illegal. Yeah, you know, um, e- even some of the court orders that have been issued, it, it, it doesn't apply to us as a church. Like we're we're gathering together. We're not here to protest. This mm-hmm. is this is this is we're not trying to take down the government. That we're yeah. we're just gathering together for for church. For you know, so. But the police, you know, they didn't want to say, say much. Yeah. So they take you in. They take me in. Layers are off. Layers are off. I'm in, I'm into a, basically a cement cell, you know. So you got four walls, ceiling, and floor that's completely cement, and with it with a toilet sitting there. Is there like a bed or a bench or anything in well, there? There's a bench on on two of the sides. Yeah. But if you if you lay on that bench, it'll it'll suck all the heat off you. So that's your holding cell where you're being processed. You're 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 in there, and actually, I, I was in there for about you know a day. I was in there overnight before they brought me over to to the jail. And so you lay there. The lights are on the entire time, and so you know oh. they give you a COVID mask. So that was my <laughs> my blind. You use it for a for a blackout mask, <laughs> sleep to mask sleep. Yeah, put it over my eyes, and then I had a water bottle from them. So that was my pillow. Put that behind. But it, you get cold because. Yeah, it was summer. It was you know springtime, but the air conditioning was on. It's just yeah, because the officers all have this you know uniform on. So uh, and then you're there with basically nothing on a cement pad. And so when I went home, my kids asked, "What's jail like?" I'm like, "We'll go down to the basement floor, the cement floor, and lie on that." It's like one of and, Dr. Lawson's <laughs> classrooms that we have to endure 55 degree air conditioning. Yes, yes, like that, but laying on the cement. And then of course. You know, if you if you're used to any kind of privacy, you know, you go to the bathroom, you close the door, like it's just you. Mm-hmm. But when when you're in prison, like you have a toilet that's just there, and so when you have to go to the bathroom, like there's there's cameras above you, there's there's windows they're looking mm-hmm. in, and so you you feel very animal like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 your dignity um, is this is stripped from you there, and I understand like they deal with criminals. Sure. Um, but coming straight from church, you know, to go there was wow. a bit of a, a bit of experience. So, so I was there, you know, through through most of the night, and then was transferred over. You know, in Canada they called it a, a remand center, and so this is this is a maximum security place where they where they bring people that uh, you know can't get bail or before they're transferred to a, a longer term penitentiary. Okay, you know, so so they they put you in there. And of course, they don't tell you what's happening next. And so one of the the things that really adds to the the negative experience of going to prison is is there's no manual. They they, they don't tell you what's happening, which messes with the human mind. And so they'll just they'll just like bang on your cell door and like Stevens, we're going. And it's like you just stand up. You know, they'll put handcuffs on you, they'll put shackles on your 
on your ankles, yes. and so you're tied up with shackles, and then you can't walk very fast. So you're shuffling to the next thing. Yeah, so you're shuffling, and you know these things are digging into your skin, and and they put you in the back of a of a van, and it's like a like a dog kennel. So you get you get like wedged into this you know steel box, and so you're there with your shackles and handcuffs, and then off they go, and you have no idea where we're going. And uh, so, you, so you get into this other facility, and and then you're brought into another holding cell. And so you're sitting in this cell. You've, you have no idea what's happening next, you know. And then other guys, other inmates get brought in, and, and they get put in that same cell. And so they brought this one guy in, and he was he was looking really rough. And and he kind of crawls up, and and he's he's yelling back at the guards, and you know, you can tell he's he's antsy, he's disturbed. And so you're not sure, like, <laughs> what's that guy going to do to me? Totally. As I'm sitting there with my, you know, my suit on in, in prison, and uh, so so that staging area, they they process you into there, and and knowing the general procedures now, uh, it, it's not so much of a shock. But at the time, you just didn't know what's happening next. So mm-hmm. so they would give you a strip search as you get in there, but but you didn't you didn't know that. And so they'll tell you, hey, Stevens, come over here. And then, you know, you stand over there and they're like, okay, take, take off your shirt, take off this. And it's, and then soon, like, you're completely naked. They turn around and do this. And it's, and uh, so you, you just feel so violated. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you understand after the fact that, yes, this is, this is their procedure because of the guys that they're bringing through here. Sure. Um, so eventually you, you go through that, you get your, your nice, Coveralls, you know your prison issue coveralls. Are they warmer than? They're what you they're have? a bit thicker. Sure. You know, but that, that's it's all the layers you got, right? Yeah. You got this coverall, and you're lucky if the Velcro works and keeps it <laughs> keeps it together, it doesn't fall apart. Uh, you know, they get you a pair of socks and a pair of Crocs, and and that's that's your uniform. That's it. They give you a, a bag that had uh, you know a, a blanket in it, and uh, you know extra socks and underwear, and then. Um, escorted me off to my to the unit and the cell that I was going to stay in, mm-hmm. and so was there with another cellmate. Most most time you are with a cellmate. You're, you're in a quite a small space, and mm-hmm. there's there's bunk beds there, and you know at least at least when you get the remand center, there is some some padding on the bunk beds. But you know I, I could best liken that to it's like those gym mats that yeah. you have, but but one that has been so worn down over time or being slept on so it's almost like you know if you take like a beach towel and fold it over a couple times like yeah. that that was the amount of That's padding it. you get which is still good for the back but yeah. you know <laughs> straighten you out a bit yeah but no pillow you know so you just you lay True. there lay there with your blanket mm-hmm. and, and that first night was hard uh, because i was actually in that cell with that same guy who was processed same time as me Got it. and he's he's clearly in withdrawal, Clear, clearly he needs his next hit of drugs, and so you, you just don't know what state of mind he is in and what he will do. And of course, all these thoughts come to your mind about the movies you've seen and that stuff that happens oh, in jail. <laughs> and uh, so it's hard to to get a good a good night's rest. But it was through that time I had to. I did have an opportunity to call my wife once I. Once I got the remand center, you know, you, you do your best to try to every guard you meet. Hey, can I can I use a phone? Can I use a phone? And and most of the time they'll just brush you off and say no. But I was able to use the phone that night, and and I remember, you know, talking to my wife and, and doing my best not to be super emotional. You know, even though you feel like 
weeping. Mm. And uh, but you want to be strong for her. Let her know where where you are. Ask how the kids are doing. And I remember that first first night I was there, especially in that holding cell with other that other man, thinking you know about the injustice of this all. And then when I talked to my wife, though, it just the idea that Christ suffered so, so unjustly mm. for our sake, and then he didn't just go to go to prison, but he he suffered the wrath of God. He suffered the wrath of men as a completely innocent man for our sake. And so sitting there and, and knowing that you're sitting there unjustly and, and experiencing you know, some of this, the emotional pain of imprisonment, it just gave me uh, such an appreciation for our Lord. So that brought and you that closer strength. to Christ in oh, some yes. ways. Like in your, in your relationship with the Lord and your prayer life, you're, you think about Paul and sharing in the sufferings of Christ. For you, in that moment, you're you feel like you're drawn closer to the Lord in your relationship with him, or at least you're relating to some it's, aspects it's, of what in, we've in, learned. In some respects, you're, you're able to understand in a, in a tiny minuscule fraction of what he endured for our sake. So your theology is now becoming quite become real, practical reality. Yeah. yeah. And then just to feel that, just that emotion of that, and then to be strengthened by that. Mm. To know that if if my Lord has suffered to that extent, much more for me, well, certainly I can I can be here, yeah, and, and I I can suffer unjustly, and I I know that just like He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly, uh, so so can I trust myself to the Father, and uh, and know that I will be vindicated, whether in this life or the one to come. So you're at their mercy. What do they decide? What what happens next? Well, the, I went to court for a couple days, and I was kicked back to the prison, you know, one time. And then the other time, it, it turns out there was a, a technicality in how they, in fact, put me in jail, which means I was going to be able to come home. Um, so I was there for about three days. And coming, coming out of prison after those three days, and knowing that I was... I was really released because of a, of a technicality. Mm. It meant that I'm probably gonna be heading back there very shortly. Yep. And so my wife came and picked me up, you know, the kids all grab onto me and uh, I, I began to cry, just like holding them back and just thinking, because I'm gonna be heading back there and, and knowing now that a little taste of what it's like, mm. you know, this is not fun. No. Yeah. You know? So now I'm gonna be heading back, I, did, I just thought, yeah, I'm, I might miss the next birthday. Uh, I might miss our baby's first step. She was just born a few months before that. And so this is this is what's going through my mind. And my kids have never seen never seen me cry, you know. So they're they're seeing daddy who's who's normally strong, and now here's dad crying. And so my kids actually tell my wife like, I think daddy's broken. Oh, you know, man. And my wife gets home and she's texting the other women. It's like, I, I think Tim's broken, you know? Because it was very emotional. We went home and they're like, Daddy, can we get some ice cream? Because they, they want to cheer me up, right? Totally. And I'm like, no, thanks. And so like, that dad must be, that must be oh. really wrong because dad's favorite is ice cream and dad yeah. doesn't want any ice cream. But they, they bring me home and I sit on the couch and you know, all this stuff's going through my mind. And, and so my kids decide they're going to gather around me and sing Psalm 23 for me. What? 
And so they start singing Psalm 23. And uh, yeah, I, I, I tried to start with them, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't get out the words. Yeah. And so they're singing that to me. It's just, it, was, it was such a heavy, emotional mm-hmm. time uh, going through all that. So that was, it was quite the experience, you know, the first time going. And you're now, we're talking, we're into like Thursday, we're into Friday, we're getting to the, as Sunday's approaching, you know it's looming, it's it's coming, you're resolved, you're going to meet, you're going to worship, it's what it is. When you take us to this Sunday morning, you're, you're there, you're in your suit, you're ready to rock. Yeah. What, what are, what happens? Well, we gathered, so that Sunday, we actually gathered outside. Okay, um, you know, because we, our our desire was to gather as a church, yep. right? Not to make some kind of spectacle. Totally. But as as I went to jail and as things were happening, you know, so every Sunday the police would all be there, the media would all be there, and so it was a bit of a circus. Mm-hmm. And so just to try to come and worship with all this going on, yeah. it was too much of a distraction. So we said, okay, let's let's meet somewhere where we don't normally meet. And we'll gather together. That way we can just gather in private and worship. And so we did that on that Sunday. And uh, I, me- I remember when that service started, you know, so I, I sh- showed up and, and the other people were, were excited to see see me out. And uh, there was one gentleman that was, you know, he's like, oh, it's so good that you were able to go to jail and be persecuted for Jesus' sake. And Man. he was just so excited. And he's like, how, how was that? And and I was just like, well, it's just it's just not as glorious as you think it is. <laughs> like, it's right? kind of like the rah rah, like Luther. We read the we read like church history and like, yeah, you know, bring it on. Here I stand. I can do no other. Right, like, yeah. come get He's some. He's afraid for his life. Totally. And you're, <laughs> you're, you're like, yeah, man, it's it's actually really brutal. Yeah. So, so the young guys had this expectation, like, oh yeah, like you were in jail. It's like, mm, like let's yeah, go. Let's, let's, let's Fist nail bump. it. Yeah. I'm like, no, jail is not fun. Mm. This, this is not, it's, it's not glorious to suffer. It is glorious to gather for the sake of Jesus for and have, sure. have him minister to you and strengthen you. But, but going to jail is not something that you would want to do. Yeah. Um, so we, we ended up meeting there outside and, you know, it was someone else within our church that was kind of hosting us there, but. You know, he just didn't want anybody else to get in trouble for our our gathering, mm-hmm. and so we thought, well, let's let's go back to our to our facility, our church, and we'll continue to gather. And as we did that, they also they locked our church, very similar to how they locked up James Coates Church. Yep. Uh, they didn't end up putting the big barricades around it, but they they changed our locks, mm-hmm. which prevented us from meeting there. And you own the building, we you own, own the building, the land. Yeah, like so that's they, your church. Yeah, and they did it to another church in Ontario too. So. Hmm. They, they had assumed for themselves almost this, you know, tyrannical powers. Unilateral, like we do what we want. Yeah, confiscate your property. Wow. Because you're you're health violators. You know, so yeah, it was it was incredible that they could do that. So we ended up meeting outside, but where we met outside, yeah, people got word or somebody saw us gathering, and so made a call to the authorities. And uh, so this was now getting into the month of June. So this is it's getting summertime even in Canada and but the outdoor gathering limit was only 10 people and so at that time more people had gathered to our church because of you know my imprisonment and and the news media so so 
other churches were still closed, so and people you guys were coming gathering, together. So people were coming to church. Gather, yeah. So we probably had maybe two hundred or a little bit over two hundred gathering outside. Yeah. The limit was ten, and so the police, um, yeah, they came. I remember them coming to my house on on a Saturday night in in June, probably right at the very beginning of June, mm-hmm. and they actually found me outside. I was back in the play playground with my kids. And so two police officers came up to me and they had in their hand the court order, basically cease and desist, you must stop or else you'll be arrested. And so when they gave that to me, that was that was one of the reasons why I was released the first time. They didn't serve me properly, oh, this notice. Got it. And so now they have given it to me properly. And and I have noticed this is Saturday night. And so the question is, well, do we go worship Sunday knowing that they're waiting for us. You know, they, they know. They've given me this. I have full warning. And so I, I remember talking to my wife. You know, I called James Coates. I talked to other other people in our church. And just became convinced, like, no, we need to, nothing's changed. And James is out of prison together. at this point? He's out of prison. And his church is meeting in different locations. Secretly. Secretly. And, and they haven't been found out yet by yep. the authorities. So they're staying under the radar. Yep. Trying, and, because they're We're secret. doing something similar. But now yep. we've been found out. Yep. They've served me that court order. And so we decided, well, no, we're going to continue to meet. We, we could have tried to change location, but now yeah, it's Saturday night. But it's over. Everyone's, everyone's ready. Everyone's prepared to go. And so now we, we're going to gather as a church. And so I, I gathered that. We gathered that Sunday. And then uh, on Monday, that's when the police you know, came to our house to come to arrest me. And it, it's actually... The footage is online because the the prosecution, the lawyer for the prosecution, thought I was already arrested. And so he, he actually contacted my lawyer and said, okay, how do we deal with now with Stevens, who's in jail? And so he called me and said, and realized I wasn't arrested yet. And he goes, they're on their way to arrest you. Wow. And so he calls media to come record this. Yeah. And so they, they show up at the same time, the police. So we have media police all showing up wow. in the house at the same time. But it, it helped me to prepare at that time, knowing that they were coming. So we, we gathered together as a family in our living room. You know, I prayed for my family. We sang a psalm together. And uh, then when the police came, you know, you can see the footage online, some of that discussion and interaction. But the kids were, were heartbroken because they didn't know how long I would be yeah. be gone this time. And so they're they're crying. You know, they're reaching into the police cruiser as I'm sticking my hand out through the bars, being pulled away. And, and this time I knew the drill. I knew yep. here we're going to go to this cement cell and the arrest processing yep. center. Then we're going to go to remand center. Uh, so, so I knew it was before me, but I just didn't know how long. Um, so, my, so my second stay was about 18 days. Wow. And it was, I had, I had better, a better cellmate mm-hmm. that time. And so he kind of, he kind of taught me. Once, once you know, the first four days were done and he sobered up. Yeah. Then he could could teach me, you know, how to how to survive well in prison in terms of and things I, to eat. And such. Would you give us kind of a glimpse of the culture there? You're a preacher, yeah. a Christian. Do they mistreat you? Do they treat you well? Are you dealing with any type of threats? Or you know, what's that like for you in your role? And how did the inmates respond to you? Yeah. So you do have you, know, you do have a radio in prison in your cell. You, know, you can you can listen to the radio, and the guys in there, you, you know, general some of the events happening in the world. Mm-hmm. 
So because it's been months since the police have been at our church and we've been in the news, so, so these guys knew about these preachers. They've been following along. Who were gathering. <laughs> and so when I get there, they're like, oh, are you, are you one of the pastors? You're that guy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, yes. And because, you know, almost everybody in prison is a, is a Christian. Yeah. They've all been through these Christian rehab programs. Yeah. And, uh, and so they, they would call me preacher or pastor. And they would, you know, if they had a chocolate bar, they'd, they'd give that to me. So the, the inmates were actually very, very kind to me. They're on your side. So, so once, once, you know, once you get to know that, you realize, you know, th- these guys are actually very, very supportive in, in their mind. If, if you're against the government, like, sure, you're on their side. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you're one of them. <laughs> and and they, they all feel they're in there unjustly, mm-hmm. right? So they kind of band together. You yeah. know, we're 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 a bit of a victim here. And so they, they really, you know, in many respects, uh, respected me. And then they would come to me and, and share with me their, their problems. Mm. And so these guys look tough, right? Yeah. So you go there and you're scared of these guys, what they look like. But uh, as they shared with me, you know, the broken relationships, you know, none of them had a father in their life. You know, the number of women or children that they've, that they've had. And, and they're just pouring out their lives and asking for help. And so you, you do your best to try to explain the gospel to them. And, you know, where, where do you start? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's been nothing in their lives that have a semblance of, of any kind of Christian order or creational normativity. Um, and even reading, some of these guys can't even read. Wow. And so they would ask me, hey, can, you, can you read something for me? And, and, and in jail, you had some books there, but they would asked me to read some of these books and they were they were t- terrible books um, so i'm like i'll, I'll read to you and and uh, i had a bible because every, every time you you go into jail i always ask all the guards i, I need a bible need a bible yep. so finally you you get a bible and so i said i'll just read to you the bible mm. and so with my inmate we're in there 23 and a half hours a day together right because you only get a half hour break wow. out of your cell so so you're in there lots of time to read and so i'll just read you the gospel of mark so i just you know, read a chapter and Explain it a little bit. Are you still listening? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm listening. I'm like, second chapter. So, you know, he read the entire Gospel of Mark with commentary to my cellmate. <laughs> you know, and he's like, wow, you're pastoring, shepherding <laughs> yeah. guys. And- he's like, you're a great reader, right? It's like yeah. re- reading the truth. And that was actually one of the blessings, you know, with no cell phone, no, no beeping, mm-hmm. you know. So you don't know what's going on outside the walls of the prison, but you have your Bible and, uh, you're able to pray a lot more than you would normally do just without distractions. And, and you can, you get up in the morning and you're like, well, I don't know what today is going to bring, but I think I'll just read the book of Isaiah wow. or read Jeremiah. And you, you have hours to sit there and read, read the scriptures. So in that sense, it was, it was edifying to me and strengthened my conviction, strengthened my resolve and even even going through the Psalms or other things, like there was this passage of scripture that were ministering to me that were so relevant. And uh, you know, there's there's a lot of Christian songs that we sing, but I found in, in prison I found it was the Psalms that ministered in such a way that you know, a hymn or another Christian song just couldn't mm-hmm. couldn't match. Wow. So I just found myself singing the Psalms and then reading through the Psalms because when you, when you think about the Psalms, most of them are laments, most of them are, you know. David's on the run. He's being totally. persecuted. You know, he's he's isolated. He's not with the congregation, and so you're reading this. You're like, this is right where I'm at. And they're inspired. They're authoritative. Yeah. They're divine. They're supernatural. So you, what better comfort 
you could sing the greatest uh, contemporary song ever on anxiety and suffering. Right. And it does not compare. It'll never be on par with the Word of God. Yes. That's incredible, man. So you're in there. You are it, it, along the way getting a glimpse that you're coming to the end of the rope or 18 days hits and they go, Stevens, let's go. You're out. What's the yeah. culmination? Well, we're out about half hour a day, right? So in that, in that half hour a day, it might be one half hour block or maybe two 15 minute breaks um, where you get out of your cell. So during that time, you know, you, you, you can shower if you want to. I would always head to the phone. How because, hard was that to only, and then didn't your wife not know when you were going to get out? Like, you, how do you, you don't know. Right. So you just so, call. So you might you, miss the you call. You don't know. You don't know. Yeah, there was, there was one time, she. I think she was at prayer meeting. I'm, uh-huh. I'm calling and calling and calling. She's not answering. Um, so I missed her that day. But like, so, so say say I'm out like 8.30 one morning. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, 15 minutes, half hour to call her. And then the next day, I might not be out because you're out once a day. I might not be out till 8.30 at night. So it, it, it might be like 36 hours wow. before she gets a phone call from me. And of course, she's at home saying, Where, where's Tim? And uh, so I would just try to use that time to call her, uh, to hear from the kids. And, and of course, on the phone, you know, when I heard her voice or the kid's voice, you know, I'm trying my best oh, to keep my composure. Totally. You know, all the, all the guys around me, like, and, and many of them don't have anybody, anybody to call. So, so they're sitting there watching you make the phone calls. Mm. And so I'm trying to encourage them and strengthen them. I'm, tr- I'm trying to help her pass on messages to continue shepherding the flock. You know, so I would, wow. in my cell, I would, I would write what I want to say in an email, and then I get on the phone and say, "Okay, Raquel, like, start recording this." Wow. Because I'm, I'm gonna read what I'm, I want to say to the church, and so she'll make sure that gets passed on. Um, so even those 15 minutes, 20 minutes of a phone conversation were so, so helpful in prison. Um, but I could hear from her that. You know, restrictions were supposed to come to an end or ease up at the end of June, so beginning of July. Got it. And so that's when we expected, okay, maybe there's a chance that, that I'll get out of jail, although that was still uncertain. And e- even the day of, even July 1st, it was uncertain whether I'd be released or not. Um, and so it turned out that on that day, um, I was I was released because restrictions and requirements for gathering numbers at the church and such were, were lifted. And so I was able to, to head home. Really quick, you need to explain to people how you could have gotten out this whole time. Yes. I don't think yeah. people probably have a good grasp of that. You could have gotten out day one. Yes. No problem. Yes. Why? How? Yeah, you, you, could, you could have, even when they arrested me, I didn't need to get in that police car because they had with them a piece of paper um, saying that I, I will agree to abide by the health orders. You won't gather? Which means I won't gather with my church. Yep. You know, I'll, I'll obey the distancing and all that kind of stuff. And I, I can sign that and agree and they won't take me take me away. And then in jail, you know, in any of those days, I could have just said, oh, guard, I'll sign. I'm, I'm ready to sign. And I could walk out a free man. That gets me so every phone call any missed call day let's say you miss Raquel she's in a prayer meeting any hard kind of day me- mentally yep. anything you could have signed and you just kept how were you willing you would have stayed in there for as long as it took 
you had that resolve. Yeah, we we were ready. It was hard, right? Um, especially especially when you had people like like the the one of my lawyers at that time was like Tim, like you're not helping anybody. You should sign and get out. We'll fight this. Le- we'll fight this legally. We'll fight this in the court. Yeah, you're you're helping nobody in jail. And and my response, my wife's response to him was like, I'm not I'm not trying to help anybody, but but this is a matter of conviction. This is a matter of principle. You know, th- this is not a matter of strategy. This is not say, okay, let's let's try to find the best way to to make these health restrictions go away. You're trying to trying to win. You're trying no. to obey the Lord. It was simply be faithful. The Lord calls me to gather as a pastor, and so I will gather. And it was simply a matter of conviction, a matter of principle. I love that. You know, man. So you get out on the the, the restrictions are raised. Yes. The numbers are expanded. Yeah. You get out. Can you tell us what has happened at your church since then? And obviously, the preface to all this is, and it, it's hilarious. And people, that we're talking at lunch today. You preach. We preach the word in season and out of season. So it was out of season, yes. and you're going to prison. It became in season in some ways for your church, for our church, a lot of churches. Yeah. What has happened since then? Since this group was dwindling down, you're going to gather anyway. Mm-hmm. to now after yeah well because i was there for you know almost three weeks a second time you get into routine in prison so i've i've got a notebook i've got a pen so i'm i got my bible I, i'm writing sermons you're loaded i'm just ready <laughs> like you let me out and i'm ready to preach yes sir and so that that first sunday i think i was i was out probably it was like a thursday or friday that week and uh, so, so my associate pastor Alex, he, he was, he was, he was ready to go. Mm. But I called him that Friday night. I'm like, "Sorry, Alex, I, I got this Sunday. Yeah. Um, I already got a sermon ready." And so I, I remember preaching from Matthew 10 about how the Lord sends us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Yes. And then you know you'll be brought before rulers and magistrates, but but stay loyal to Christ to the end. Mm. And so I I preached that message, and that just just knit our congregation together. You know, others had come. Some just to see the spectacle, sure. some some to support, but others because they their minds had been changed through COVID about the essential nature of the church and of gathering, and and they're listening to my sermons, they're listening to James Coates, they're listening to John MacArthur, and so, so they're not just keyed in on gathering, but on Reformed theology, yeah. on, on the gospel, and yeah. so these are people hungry for the word mm-hmm. who didn't realize they were were part of a church where they weren't hearing it. And so, so they started gathering, and we couldn't we couldn't contain in our facility anymore. So we had to start renting space. And and at this point, we've uh, God has blessed us and providing us a new church facility that can hold us. <laughs> and so the Lord has has blessed us through that time numerically. Uh, the Lord has blessed us uh, in seeing people come to come to saving faith, in in seeing Christians strengthened, mm. especially. You know, wow. to to live for Christ, no matter the consequences, because yeah. immediately after you know all that pressure is put upon the church, it seemed like the next the next winter brought pressure upon the people in the congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what it was like here, but especially in Canada with all the different vaccine mandates, yeah. that put a lot of people in a conflict between do I choose my job or do I choose my, my, my autonomy over that, my body? So that was the next wave here as well, where once restrictions were lifted, everybody's gathering, the sort of new battle or the new fight was Christians at their jobs and Christians in the church wrestling through 
But I think the government at that point, even, you know, whatever political commentary we can offer, I don't, I don't even remember half of what, you know, the issues were, but I remember people now, the government had sort of given up on trying to control churches from gathering. However, at a lot of businesses, right, you had to take, and if you were in any type of medical industry in the U.S., and we were all calling it the jab, you had to take the jab, and people wouldn't, and some people were losing their jobs, some people were willing to lose their jobs, some people had to do it to travel. I think I remember some of that as well for like sports teams, pastors, missionaries. Now I'm, it's memory recall. Missionaries were having to decide if they would do it to go back, put themselves in their body in harm's way. So for you guys, kind of the same thing. I remember all of that. Yes. And you guys made it through that era just fine. We made it through that because, well, they didn't come after church anymore. So even though restrictions came back for our church, they did, didn't enforce it the next winter. They just left us alone. Uh, I think at that point, you know, public opinion was beginning to shift against did, yeah. against the government, and so they didn't want to put anybody else in jail. So they, they kind of left us alone. But then our people were given an example of what it looks like to have your convictions settled mm-hmm. and understanding, you know, there are limits to Romans 13 to the authority of the government, yep. especially over your own body. Totally. And then Romans 14 also gives us the idea of how we ought to work together, and these are matters of conscience and conviction. We ought to respect those. And so it was hard for some of our folks and our, our church had to come alongside and to you know, help other brothers or sisters who lost their jobs mm-hmm. because of that. Uh, but the church loved one another and cared for each other through that time. And so I think what happened to us the year prior really helped prepare us for that season. And more people continue to come because we were a church willing to, to address those issues. So, you know? so many other churches wouldn't say anything no. about it. You know, they didn't want to get into the weeds of, oh, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a politician, I'm not a lawyer, as if you need to be a lawyer to speak about law, you know? Uh, so people were looking for guidance. So, so a lot of folks started coming to our church because they just wanted some pastoral help to navigate, you know, the craziness that they're experiencing in the world. Yeah. I'm so grateful for your faithfulness and grateful to get to know you and spend time with you now and and get to have the program we're a part of and spend time together in that one last thing as we finish up, could you speak to the principles or exhortations or encouragements for people based on what you went through and based on that whole season and what you were enduring in the middle of it? How would you encourage a Christian now? It seems as though I would say this pastorally, maybe you would say the same mm-hmm. thing. Remember post 9-11, churches filled up, America's going back to God because it's pretty shaking for people. Yeah. COVID, a lot of churches fill up, explosive kind of quote-unquote renewal maybe is a good word, or a a revival in the sense of we have a revived hunger and a revived thirst for church, the gathering. Like, we're never going to let them do that again, and we're never going to this. Things die down. Mm -hmm. It's starting to mellow out, or it has. I know an an election year here in the U.S. is coming in 2024, so there'll be some upheaval. But overall... COVID's sort of the thing we learned from, and it's a thing of the past. How would you encourage and to prepare and even maybe light a fire under Christians, pastors in the church still to keep the flame of conviction burning strong, but also to prudently and calmly, faithfully prepare for what is ahead? Yeah, which we don't know. That's right. What's next, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say there's probably three three main things. The first, the most important, 
is to remember the centrality of the gospel, the centrality of Christ and his lordship. Mm. I think through this time, we recognize that that Christ is, he's Lord of the church. This yeah. is his church. Amen. And, uh, but his, his lordship is, is over more than just the church. Yeah. And so to think about the centrality of Christ in our lives as individuals, mm-hmm. he, he is our, our highest loyalty. So when, another, when other things compete with our loyalty to Christ, we must always be faithful to Christ. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, we have to establish that as a primary conviction. Beyond that, I would say secondly that church history was very helpful. You know, we, we read through as a family through that time um, I told my boys to read Five English Reformers mm. by J.C. Ryle, talking about those English martyrs and their faith. Mm. That That is it's so encouraging to see other believers be faithful before you. Yeah. So it's a, they're a living example of what faithfulness looks like in mm. times of pressure. And there's another book called Trial and Triumph that just, it went through like a history book of all these different Christians. And you recognize that, you know, what happened to John Bunyan is not, unusual <laughs> that's the christian life for many people yeah actually what's unusual for us is the prosperity and the freedom we've enjoyed Absolutely. in the last few hundred years that's not normal mm-hmm. and so we need to have an understanding of what normalcy is so we're prepared for it yeah. and then finally i would say that people really need to develop and hone their convictions based upon the word of god mm-hmm. you know to, to make sure that when something happens, don't just like get on the computer and say, "Oh, what's MacArthur at Grace Community Church doing? You know, what's what's Dever doing at his church? What's oh, what's Costi doing?" And, yeah. and and then trying to see what you should do. It's like it might be helpful to understand how they're applying the Bible or sure. what passages they're using, but then you open your Bible, you know, especially pastors, you know, get into the Word and and seek to mm-hmm. apply those different texts to your situation and make sure that your convictions are based upon God's word and that what you're trying to do is obey God. Not just follow somebody else, but I want to obey the Lord. Uh, there's always that that remnant motif in scripture. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you follow the crowd, chances are you're not following Christ. Yeah. And so it's important that your convictions come from the word. Brother, thank you beyond. I know you won't say you're welcome because you just <laughs> were walking obediently, but thank you for sharing the story and thanks for being an encouragement and exhorting others. And I praise God for Raquel, the bride yes. the Lord's given you for your yes. children, for your Dude. church. So Fairview Baptist, yes, just outside of Calgary. Right in Calgary, yeah. You're in Calgary. Right can in you city. see the Saddle Dome? Uh, we, we've moved locations now, but you can see downtown where it's up the hill. So you're you right know. near Calgary Stampede. Oh, yeah. We got it all there. <laughs> you're not a Leafs fan. You're still going to be a loyal Flames fan. Well, you know, I don't really cheer for any hockey team. So <laughs> whatever one you're cheering for, Costi, I'll, I'll give you. Except, right, for, so, except for the Leafs. Oh, I, I, I just James can't, Coates, I can't, if he sees this. I can't stoop that low. <laughs> James Coates probably just jumped out of his seat for a second when you're like, whatever, because I'm a Leafs fan. Yeah. Coates is a Leafs fan. He wore a Leafs jersey in the B-roll footage of the Essential Church stuff. Well, there's some he, things where I want to be on the winning team. You oh, know, so come on. Couldn't, couldn't do it for the Leafs. It's, oh, it's ingrained. Bleeding heart Leafs fan over here. But most of all, not just not loyal to a team, loyal to Christ. Yes. Brother, thankful for you. Love yeah, you. Thanks, And God. appreciate you. What an example of conviction, faithfulness, thoughtfulness, pastoral sensitivity, and boldness and courage to preach the truth and to walk faithfully in what Tim knew God had called him to do. 
Thanks again for listening. And don't forget, this is in video podcast format. If you're watching this on YouTube, great. But if you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, be sure to do so. And if you'd like to watch this interview in its entirety on video, it's available at our For the Gospel YouTube channel. For free resources or to become a monthly gospel patron and partner with us to put out these free resources, you can go to forthegospel.org. And don't forget, we're on all social media channels where we post videos and encouraging articles every single week to spur you on to live for the gospel. On that note, I'll be back next Monday with another episode. For now, keep on living for the gospel.